Wait, is this rhyming? Wait, is this a poem? They're interrupting in a way that I'm like, this is no fun if you're not letting me full on go into it. Um, But yeah, that was a little fun one that I wrote as a response to the what do you do question. Hey, friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Max Stossel. Max is an award-winning poet, filmmaker, and speaker named by Forbes as one of the best storytellers of the year. He's also the founder of Social Awakening. I saw Max's Words That Move film in person in New York in December of 2022 and loved it. In this episode, you'll learn about the film and the seven years it took for him to create it, how he became a poet, especially around performative poetry, which you'll learn about what that is and how Max came to it. And he also even performs two poems in this episode for you. So you really get to experience Max and some of his incredible work. In this episode, you'll also learn about creativity, art, the intersection uh, and relationship between making a living from your art and or other sources of income, doubling down on your own art, and so much more. As always, this episode with Time Set Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter, uh, my Substack called Portfolio Career. You can also sign up for my free podcasting course as well. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Max. Uh, poetry. Correct. <laughs> what do you love about it? Um, what do I love about it? I first got like fell in love with it in adult life. I think I actually loved it as a really little kid too, but then forgot about that for like 20 years. And then yeah. re-fell in love in adult life as I found rhyme and rhythm to be these incredible mediums to help a message land in a deep way and cut through in a way that other words could not. People would be open to receiving things in poetry form in a way that was not necessarily the case in conversation. Hmm. And I really liked that. Um, And then my friend Alice Frank, who is the friend I was just telling you about, uh, when I first met her, she said she was a poet. I asked her what she loved about poetry, and I just always love her answer, so I love to share it with the world. She said, poetry is a way of saying the unsayable, of effing the ineffable. <laughs> this, you know, if you want to cuss on this, on this podcast, you can. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and when was that? When did I fall in love with it? Yeah. Uh, when I was around 23, 22. Yeah, so about 10 years ago. God. And what I think is also is is interesting is what like you, someone was performing poetry uh, in Cube something like that in Cube yeah in Cube. Uh, talk to us about that experience and and what uh, what that was like. So yeah, he was he shared a poem about falling in love at eighty five, which you can find online too, and is a wonderful thing. Um, and I just found as he after he recited it, I like just remembering all these lines and. Uh, most remembering like and i would touch her withered skin and comment on how thin it is to keep in something infinite just like feeling the rhythm like in my body and then on the way home my arms were buzzing which hadn't happened before and i was like what's going on and i was trying to like figure out on a phone notepad like what is happening to me and the first two lines of what i wrote rhymed and i was like no okay i can do this (laughs) Um, and i wrote a poem and i shared it for him the next day and I was like, hey, do you want to hear a poem I wrote after your thing? And he was like, okay. (laughs) Uh, And then I shared it for him, and he was very encouraging. 
and yeah, it became a like career, passion, art, whatever we want to call it. It's here now. And so kept on doing more and then started performing them, right? I think it's, it seemed like there was something around like the, you would perform them and then people would say like, I want to share it with me and, you know, email it to you and email it to them. And it just wasn't the same for you. Totally. And also, you know, I was exposed to him who was sort of a performance poet. And so that was the mm-hmm. type of poetry I was exposed to. And yeah, people would say after I started performing them, people would ask for them, say, Hey, can you send this to me? And writing it out on an email just didn't feel like it. It's like, I didn't want to just send the words. There was something I was trying to deliver that wasn't getting through from just writing down the words. And so that was what led me to start turning them into films, trying to deliver the real thing I was trying to give to you um, through, through the screens and able to be seen more widely. Um, and I still like it when work is seen widely, but back then I was like, it has to be seen by <laughs> as many people as possible. Um, and I, I really wanted to, without compromising the art, like I didn't want to do all the little viral tricks and like play the social media games, but I really wanted to create things that would be shared. And that was very much a priority. Um, and yeah, I started doing that. Um, the videos were all seen by lots of people, which felt really good. And, and seemed to be loved and that sort of helped spark more of a career not immediately i expected after i had viral videos that'd mm. be like oh that's it once there's viral videos then like i'm hit i've made it um and that just like wasn't the case at all there'd be like a moment of high attention and then a couple of weeks later that would just sort of be totally gone and then leaves you in a very strange place of like oh wait like you know like i made no, I made like maybe one or two opportunities from that and zero dollars. <laughs> and this is like, so, okay. So now I just go out and do the next one or like, is this a career? Is it not? I actually have empathy for the, the social media people in, mm. in that way. But it definitely helped build a portfolio um, of stuff online that was like, oh, the stuff Max makes is cool. And I like that. And, and then, so then uh, how did it start to become more, like a thing like how are you able to uh start to you know commercialize or or make somewhat of a living from this stuff in addition to other things sure so at the time i really was surrounded by people who were like you got to make a living off of your passion um and so i was in the mindset of okay i'm supposed to like i and I, i'm good at this this is great i can i'm gonna go be an artist and i'm gonna get paid for poetry and and there was one, you know, caterpillar foundation that wanted to make work with me to make a video. And they paid me, I think, $1,500 to, uh, to like write a script and to help make a script for their video. Yeah. And so that was like the first, I think, like commercial thing. And then we've been getting paid like a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks for performances here and there. Um, but for, yeah, I mean, for a while and still, but I was always very much like I have other jobs and other ways that I'm making income and then let this be my art like let my art be my art and yeah to this day the majority of my income comes from not art but comes from uh this other work that i do um with giving presentations to teenagers about how social media impacts their lives and relationships and i'm really grateful for that because it allows me to really create the things that i want to make um and not be like oh god this art this inspiration has to put food on my table like that that's a very different relationship Mm. with with something that I'm so passionate about and feels so sacred to me. 
Um, and you know, I was hustling around when I was trying to make it my career of, I was selling Instagram accounts on the black market. I was buying and selling like from <laughs> these teenagers would build Instagram accounts to thousands of followers. So before Instagram had an algorithm. So if you had thousands of followers, mm-hmm. it would actually show them. And I would buy them from teenagers who would looking for beer money and I would resell it to like these brands for like markups. And <laughs> that was my hustle. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I was like doing some consulting and this and that to make more money and then getting paid now and then to perform. But yeah, I hadn't, it, it was, there've been a few times where it's been like the main source of income more so than speaking, but I've always had supplements. Yeah. What, um, uh, you mentioned kind of the notes, uh, notes, what, what's, um, what's on the notes app these days? Um, yeah, that's all still where I go to my uh, go to to write. I like the rhythm for my thumbs. Like I like mm. the I'm listening to music usually that has no words, and just like that rhythm of how fast I can write. I can write lines like gets me there at the right speed where it's not so fast on the computer where it's like all the way out. But that's the right amount for me. Writing is too slow with my hand, and so on the yeah, even what am I writing about these days? Yeah. Um. I've been writing a little bit more about, I would say, like consciousness. <laughs> that is, I think, what will be. Are you the conscious subject. about consciousness? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> that will be, I think, what the next show revolves around. Just like the idea of consciousness and God, and yeah, like the relationship to that word God. I think mm. will be what I take to the stage next about but first i want to release all these things i've been sitting on for years to make space to truly let whatever wants to happen come through so what is that uh what does the releasing of this stuff look like it it sounds like there's a little bit of uh i don't know do you do you you prescribe into the theory of like the messy middle of creativity tell me more about the messy middle of creativity so the messy middle uh was a book written by scott belsky which is mostly around for like founders uh, and entrepreneurs of you start a pro like have a product, get some early customers, but then to actually like scale, there's a messy middle of kind of ups and downs, highs and lows before things start to like kind of hit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you, you mentioned this kind of like I'm trying to release before I can move to the other stuff. What does that, uh, what does that kind of look like? Yeah, it's, I have found, so I'm, I just released this special, which is a culmination of seven years of work and a lot of just like a lot of stuff put into that. And so that's a big release. And then I was waiting for these two other short films that I'm now getting ready to release to want to, I wanted the special to be out um, because I want, after these spikes of people seeing work, there was sort of, I want there to be like, Hey, if you want to see more about me, here's a place where you can see something else that I really care about. And so now I'm getting ready to release those two short films, one of which is about my relationship with psychedelics, and the other is a tribute to my dog. Um, and uh, and then there's also like just a book of written stuff over the years. Most of the time when I write, I have the experience we talked about of like, is this quite it? Mm. But over the years, there have been some where I'm like, this isn't bad. I'm like it's kind of it's kind of gets the message across here. I can collect, and I put a collection of those into a book that I will also release. And so all of that feels like the work of this last chapter of my life. That it does feel like once I have that in the world, and that involves just like literally putting it in places where people can have it, doing a couple of things where I'm talking about it or promoting it and giving people an option opportunity to hear about it. Um, and then I think after that that is done, those things 
those two films, that book, I think after those are out, I will feel like, okay, like the work I created in this last chapter is now out and in the world. I can really open up to what wants to happen now. Yeah, my relationship with inspiration is that I have found that if I'm hoarding, which I am right now in ways that do not feel good, um, then I, it just doesn't visit in the same way. Like creativity doesn't visit when the messages aren't going out. If I'm, I'm a blocking point right now, why would they come visit me? And um, yeah, I have frequently written, not frequently, three or four times written apologies to creativity for making it about me which I do sometimes I'm like, Oh, all this stuff is happening and I can right. build my career, my this off of that. And how am I using this art? And that's not how art like moves. It's not about that. It's not about me. It's about something beautiful coming through and creating and expressing and sharing. It's about what that gives me and does for me in my life. Yes. Also, but it's not just about that. And if I'm making it about too much, my career, I have found that, um, yeah, that is not a boon to new work and new inspiration. So uh, apology to creativity? Yeah. Uh, say more about that. Uh, it was when, when was the most recent one? Maybe I can find one in the notes. I make no promises that I will read it. <laughs> um, yeah, I should remember having this like teary-eyed, like, man, like I did it again. Because I keep, it's, when it comes through, it feels so like it feels so just like this is the only thing that matters it's like so beautiful so filling and it's a reminder in the moments it's coming through that like it's like oh wow look at all the ways that i'm engaging with it that are not like this all these extra thoughts and anxieties and stresses that i've put on this um it would take me too long i think to find one of these is there is there anything else in there uh that you want to share like a a poem like a little or anything snippet yeah. from yeah. just like unfinished writing stuff yeah or, or something that's you know handy that you like performing or that you want to perform so they give a little teaser to people um sure let's see what comes up here um i'll go to the i'll go to the brain bank for one rather than spending the time looking there um terms of the idea of this podcast and portfolio building and of the work of what we do there's a uh there was something i wrote out of being in some of those san francisco communities you described and getting a lot of the question of like hi what do you do and that's a complicated question because i think you're asking to get a general sense of my power and income and besides the fact that my answer won't give you one that seems like a pretty dumb basis on which to judge someone See, I'm a poet, and that might be confusing if you were expressing a more traditional answer, like I'm a freelancer, doctor, investment banker, but what's frustrating is that those people aren't their jobs either. And look, maybe you're just making small talk. You asked one question after all, and after all this jabbering off, you probably need a Tylenol. I'm ready for your follow-up. Like, oh, you make money as a poet? Sometimes. Not all the time. It's not like every time you hear me rhyme, I make another couple dimes, but I'm doing fine. It's just something that I am. And you might have preconceived notions of struggling artists and depressing poets, but I happen not to fall into either of those categories. So you see, I have as many problems with the poet label as it has with me. But I've done some thinking on it, and I'm not sure there's a better word for it. 
I guess I could say a cerebelloquine messaging tonics. I spent impeccable rhythm and got an E for the phonics. You know, Earth, this is like a big part of the reason I'm on it. And humanity's suffering is endlessly chronic. And my words help you tap into a deeper subconscious and figure out how to release your shit from it like, like a sonic colonic. Hi, I'm a sonic colonic. <laughs> or I could say I make complex concepts a little more convex. I make people who move too fast stop and reflect. I'll put you inside the head of a Tyrannosaurus Rex looking up at the first meteor shower, perplexed how these beautiful dangerous speeding objects could have such complete and utter disrespect for his total territorial dominance when just moments ago he was at his apex having more t-rex sex than you'd ever expect i guess i could say i'm a man who injects your mind with the perspective of a t-rex who just figured out that we're all tiny specks what do you do and that's been a fun one that i'll occasionally break out in answer to that question (laughs) but usually if i do people in the middle of it are like Wait, is this rhyming? Wait, is this a poem? They're interrupting in a way that I'm like, this is no fun if you're not letting me full on go into it. Um, but yeah, that was a little fun one that I wrote as a response to the what do you do question. So then like the next morning, it was, it was at an event. And then like the next morning, you just started like riffing on this. And the, like that was it, how that came? Yeah. Yeah, I would get it. And then like, I was just the amount I was getting like, what do you do? And just how frustrated I felt feeling like how much weight people were putting in that mm. answer. And then I wrote that, and then I was like, oh, this was a fun one to, <laughs> <laughs> to just, like, play around with and maybe try to answer. Yeah. I, be pretty, I can see, I can, like, visualize the conversation of, like, I, I'm, I'm almost, like, trying to put myself into your shoes when if you go to an event tonight or last night or whatever, and someone's like, so what are you doing? You're like, should I? Should I? I don't know. Should yeah. I? Should Reading I? The room, looking at right, how much noise is there in this environment? What's the likelihood of someone interrupting? Are they listening? Are they going to feel attacked? All those thoughts mm. come in. Mm. <laughs> uh, that was epic. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, so, okay. So you mentioned how, you know, trying to move on to the newer stuff and this kind of apology to creativity. Um, and, but you've, but let's not forget, like the word, words that move f- short film, that was what, like six years in the making? Yes. I mean, seven, if you start from when I was writing the poems. And yeah, that's been the biggest creative undertaking of my life. And I loved the live show. I, cre- I created this live show, an hour of stand up poetry. It's like got some comedy, it's got poetry. And it was the show that was really spiritually feeding people. And I could feel that in the room. It felt so good to give. I was getting that feedback. And then, yeah, COVID hit and similar question of like, what can I do with this full hour? Can I send this through the screen in a way that is going to feel like really meaningful and fulfilling? And took that on with my friend Aaron Richards, who uh, was on Gotham and then The Crown most recently. And she's wonderful and like just rock star creative human. And like she directed it and we put it together and we shot it and made it out of my own like pocket and heart and gathered all sorts of incredibly talented people together to make something that I think is wonderful. And then I had the plan to like sell it to the streamers and I thought, oh, I'll make something great and then they'll just want it. That's not how that industry works. Um, (laughs) And I found that after like a year of also feeling like this needs to go out. I'm sitting on this for a year. It's Mm. not okay that I'm sitting on this. And so eventually I was like, all right, let's just go do this. Actually, funny enough, I was was like hiring a PR person. They'd be like, let me just put this out on my own and whatever. And the PR person was like, it's a film and you didn't submit it to any festivals. Like, 
Um, and I submitted it to the big ones. I have a tracking link. They watched 30 seconds of it and didn't watch the rest. And I was like, I do not like this industry. <laughs> um, and then six, seven years of this thing. And you can't even give me more than 30, 30 seconds. seconds. Um, and which the first 30 seconds of me being like, hi, I'm a poet. And they're like, all right, next. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but yeah, and then I was like, okay, so it needs to get into a film festival. I went on, it's called Film Freeway, which is where you submit to all these mm. film festivals. And I literally just rage submitted to a bunch of festivals. I was like, I need a festival. I need one. It's like hitting the button on a whole bunch of them. And then I got into one of the best like indie film festivals in my rage submit. I was like, what are the ones that are coming up? This is coming up. Great. Go. Yeah. And yeah, it won at one, one of the festivals. So that was nice. And now feels like a little industry golf clap in a way that feels good. Um, but yeah, then put it out. It's available for free on my website. And I'm just happy that the world has it i've gotten some messages from people about how it's like gotten them through hard times or it's like meant, meant a lot to them and that feedback feels really nice and That's words that move.com words that move.com and yeah it's in the it'll, it's special and it's right there and yeah it's something i love and if you're listening i would love for you to have it it's free go take it in instead of your next netflix binge give that a shot what do you think you learned most about yourself in that process of creating this thing for seven years I think this was uh, the part for moving it from show into special. Show was like, wasn't so financially testing. Shows were making money. Like, um, you know, it felt like a nice creative step. The special was like a financial investment. It took me being like, okay, I'm going to commit to this to a point where I'm investing significant amounts of my own money into my art. Mm. That's a thing of all the things money can do. Like, that's that's how I'm going to spend my money. Max, privileged, white, like, you know, Max, that's how you're going to do this. That's how you're going to spend your money, Max. And so it took a lot for me to actually make that choice because my brain's weird. Sometimes I'm thinking in terms of, like, how many malaria nets is this money that I am spending on my art? And I'm actually very proud of myself that, like, I committed to that and was like, no, yes, I'm going to trust what's happening in me and trust my experience enough to know that this does feel important to me and I'm going to do this. And that was like a really big hurdle to get over to be like, I'm, I'm going to actually do this. Like I'm not going to guilt myself out of this. Um, and it's not an excuse to not give to those other things and not commit time and energy to important causes that are, you know, more directly about like, how are we operating in a world with a lot of chaos and problems? Mm. But I have, yeah, honestly, come to trust more that the way I'm showing up with my time and like love is a good thing for the world, that my art is a good thing for the world, and like that I'm dedicating my energy and efforts towards like, yeah, towards something that feels meaningful and important. Um, and actually, I like for a long time, I've had a relationship with charity where if like I would give 10% to some of these yeah. effective altruism organizations or things like that. But then more recently, that's felt so measured and like doesn't get mm. into the grid enough. I am looking for a better way to uh, have a relationship with charity that feels good. But anyway, in terms of where to investing resources in myself, it was hard for me to do that. And I had the thought like, let's say I do this. I put this money in. Two people see it. Will I still be glad I did it? And the answer was yes. And so I did. And it was a big mountain of guilt to get over to actually mm. take that step and one that for me felt really important. How else do you think that that has, um, or what are their kind of implications of 
kind of investing into your own art and you said it took a lot of um, overcoming a lot and you know, like love and stuff like that. How else do you think that that's now like shows up in your life after you kind of got through that um, maybe block or kind of indecision? Yeah, I think in a way there was like some half-assing that I was doing before of being like, well, yeah, but like I'm not going to put my own money into, the, you know, like, <laughs> yes, I'm being an artist, but like, come on, like I'm not going to like, like, you know, there are other things and uh, I think it's allowed me to, you know, right now I'm looking to hire someone whose like sole job is just like distribution of things that I make. Um, and that's one piece and like feels more of like, okay, yes, like I'm now ready to continually invest in myself this way. And the other side of my work and the work with trying to help kids not kill themselves in the age of social media and all of that. Um, and just like have healthier relationships with devices um i like hired somebody and like have scaled up that work i think it allowed for an opening of more actively going after it and not kidding myself of like well yes i'm doing this but i'm kind of doing it like allowed me to really go in on the things that i'm doing in my life and yeah it's like hard to explain without going deep into therapy worlds of i think for how long i was like doing things and doing them pretty well but not fully giving them like here's what I want to do and how I want to create it and not taking charge of my life that way. And I would say it was a good step towards like really actively t taking charge of my life and taking more risks like on myself. Um, yeah. And that's been powerful and filling and scary mm. and I'm certainly s sticking with that path. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that, you mentioned there are a lot of more professional, um, has there been other implications on personally in terms of more confidence and uh, let's say, uh, you know, relationships or, you know, communicating outside of work or any other ways where it's kind of shown up? I think it's shown up in how I support both friends and strangers of like noticing how right it felt for me and how hard it was for me to do, like how, how much I could have convinced myself that like, well, think of all the other things you could do with that money. Well, like, no, why would you do, like how easy it would have been to do that and how not right that would have been for my path when other friends have like creative endeavors or things that they want to do sort of beyond logical reason. I think I've become really a champion for like, this is alive in you. Like this is something that just deep in you is there, like regardless of being able to explain it to someone and are you mm. going to feel good after you did it? And I really become a, a champion of support for people in my life that way. Hell yeah. Love that. Thanks. Uh, in the film, um, and since we're in Williamsburg, um, I'm curious about what you've learned from your barber, hmm. Derek. Yeah. Um, he's on North 8th and uh, at Fellow Barber. He's <laughs> in, on North 8th and Drake's. Derek Hake, go pay him a visit. And uh, yeah, he's... Um, he's been like a beacon of support in my life. He's helped me through a couple of different breakups and just really been a champion of unconditional love. Um, and I met him just by sitting in his chair and just like he was late that day and I actually performed subway love for him in the barber's chair being like, ah, late, like who cares? And he was so moved and he started jumping into all these monologues that he has a master's degree in, I think theater in cosmetology and in like divinity. He was going to be a minister Subway Love is another short film that Max produced. It was like one of the first viral hits. Correct. Keep going. Um, and um, I mean, yeah, I'm tempted to just dive into it. <laughs> of, 
uh, he's a minister and he's on his way to becoming a, a minister as a gay man who decided to take a different route. But my barber really is a preacher. He gives me lessons through the mirror, spouts wisdom like a fountain that makes life a little clearer. Last time, he told me he was the Alka-Seltzer, witnessing his self dissolve into the world around him, knowing that's the only legacy he'd ever truly leave, as the pieces of his being dissolve into the existential sea, an ocean of souls, the witness observing the pieces of his self that help others to grow as he lets his ideas of whatever self is go. But my barber, he's a realist. His ideals are the idealist, but he's grounded in reality. Last time he said to me, who could live and actually be that witness all the time? Like who could watch their parents die and stand to only be the eyes witnessing life's tragic processes as they simply pass us by? And I reply, only those who lie. And maybe the assholes, I joke. I expect a laugh, but no, he lets my crass avoidance go and gently brings us back to flow as he smiles and makes it known that no, Max, even the assholes get chapped. And assholes know better than most where bullshit comes and goes. We talk of love and loss and shaking off the scars that lovers leave with us. And he reminds me, greater love is pouring in from up above that it's on us to open up to all that is awaiting us. Reminds me that in our 20s we tend to confound love and need. And when the ones we love do leave, we look on them as though they're thieves. I feel that wisdom deeply the thief who stole the part of me, entwined in our dependency, who left this hole in my identity. You are whole, he assures me. There's a gift she leaves as she leaves. By robbing you of her loving, she's showing you the Alka-Seltzer. That even when your heart has nothing left to bleed, your eyes and tears too hurt to breathe, there's truth beneath the pain you see her whole, beyond the hole she leaves. My barber is a man of God. A fact I found a little odd as every Sunday he was taught he'd burn in hell for who he loved. He was conflicted by that faith. By some text that earned his place in fire for eternity, I see this tear drop down his face. He can't help but feel the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and yet the peace that haunts him most is his sacred, very own love for his fellow man. And I just want to reach out my hand and help him understand that in all of God's infinite plans, there is not a single one of them where he's not heaven destined. And so through the mirror, I look him in the eye. And though right is left and left is right, we connect in this reflective light. Our souls shine bright. His holy light shines right through the mirror. Sometimes I wonder if God himself is speaking in my ear. If God himself is cutting my hair. If I'm looking at God through the mirror, and then I imagine how the world would look if every single person could recognize the way we should that God is in the mirror. It's much easier to see divinity in others, harder to discover that it's God who's hiding under all this skin. We think of God as perfection. The one who created everything created imperfection. There's not a single emotion that isn't him. And so through the mirror, I look him in the eye. And mirrors have delays in time, reflections, milliseconds behind as light projects this false divide that I'm not you, that you're not I. And that's the work to live our lives embracing that connection, right? To see beyond elusive sight, to look inside and recognize 
the Alka-Seltzer. There's this play he loves to quote in which an angel shows this woman moments from her own past. And as they look on at her life instead of back, as they look on instead of back, the woman to the angel, she asks, do they know? Do they know? Does anyone ever truly realize life as they live it? The breadth and depth of this beautiful existence present with us in every minute. No, the angel replies. The saints and sages, maybe they do some, but never in all of its magnificence. The tragedy lies in the rift between what we perceive and all that is. This constant choice we make of finite over infinite, that we refuse to accept the fullness and completeness of this gift. It's a lot to take in for a haircut. <sighs> I don't know if I'm ready, I tell him. <laughs> and he smiles and reminds me the jump from not ready to ready, it's just a thought away. And we can make it any day. Okay, Max, you can get up to pay whenever you're ready. He holds up another mirror behind my head to help me see this part of me I rarely get to see. How does it all look, he asks. And it's funny because he and I go through... Uh, it's like sort of phases of our relationship. And right now he's like, he like, he's like, a can't, he can't watch himself on the film. He's like, I wish you had left the barber faceless. Like, come on. Like, well, it doesn't need to be me. Let people imagine their own person there. And, um, and he's like, you know, self-conscious about his, his performance in it as well. Um, but yeah, what he's done for me for the most part is just like consistently reminding me like, the thing looking through our eyes is what? Like, is God, is all of us, and is love. And just, like, constantly reminding me that I am love because we are love. And he reminds me that over and over and has in some of my darkest times and really has become one of my closest friends, and I'm tremendously grateful for him. Um, yeah. Derek <laughs> funny because I'm like, he also be like, he's like, people are going to come in with these expectations of me. Like... <laughs> Oh, God. And, and of course, he won't always live up to those expectations. And sometimes, every once in a while, he will, you will just be in awe of this man's channel. Mm. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> uh, lots of... I don't know how you do that. Like, that's... Uh, as, um, that's just incredible how, like, you can quickly just pull out and, and dive into these poems in kind of like a stream of consciousness kind of way. Um I love that that line, the not ready to ready is just a thought away. Damn. Like, I mean, if you think about anything that you're trying to create, trying to do, take on a new job, et cetera, like that line, shit. Yeah, just like one jam in the mix, totally. And I also want to have empathy that like, it's a very, when we're sitting here with two people, when I dive into that, then you're like, I'm supposed to respond. Like, okay, now it's my turn to talk. It's like a, <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> I'm here for it. I love cool. it. I'm glad. <laughs> Compared to on the stage, you mean when like you normally perform it and people are in the audience right, kind of thing? Right, yeah. sort of a, right. It's like just kind of, now we're having a conversation and then I do this thing that is sort of conversation, <laughs> but sort of not conversation. And then <laughs> you're like, oh, that's, yeah, totally. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yes. Yeah, word. What he said, and it's like. <laughs> um, 
Okay. Um, what do you think uh, Derek's learned from you? I hope a similar reminder. And he often says, like, you know, like we preach what we need ourselves. And, um, yeah, I think he's learned that he's not too much. I hope he's learned that he's not too much. And, yeah, just like I think hopefully something about his power and the impact of his voice and his words. And, and I think also, yeah, the reminders that he gives that he, like, that he is love and under it mm-hmm. and can trust that force. And yeah, he expresses these tremendous notes of gratitude to me that make me feel good and also that uncomfortable. Love. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we have a really beautiful friendship and he's often yeah, said to me of like, when we talk about romantic love or, uh, or the absence of it, just like the reminder that love is all around us and the different forms of love and our friendship being one example of that, mm. of like, a really beautiful divine love in one of its many forms. Shit. Love that. (laughs) Uh, What, um, what else would you say to the, like the creative or the artist that's listening to this? That's, you know, trying to make a living off of words or the stuff that they create. Anything else you want to share on that front? Um, in terms of making a living, I would say in terms of jobs, I think a good place to focus is just like niches. Like if you're trying to, if your goal is to get paid one recognizing like, okay, that's probably different than what you love about writing. Like, so you're entering into a different category than what you love about writing. Recognize the potential cost of that, like to something close to your heart. Is that a decision you want to make? Cool. Got it. Um, Yeah. Recognizing that like, it may very well be that what you want to calculate is what can I do that allows me the time and mental space to focus on the thing I care about and also gets me paid maybe has nothing to do with writing and like let that be a job to let your writing be your writing um that's one first thing to explore and then if you do want to like get paid off of your art um yeah like niches like finding where where what do you care about that you also are a really good fit for and where you can really kind of carve out like a, a name for yourself and like consistent work where is the money it's like a different strategic type of thinking and yeah like for me yeah i get paid now and then to perform i get paid tiny little bits on like uh on like streaming types like you know like literal lunch money like that i have the the amount of money from poetry i've made even with millions of views on like streaming or on things like that is is not like sufficient and then every once in a while, it'll be like an event that wants to do like a workshop or things like that. There's a lot of the money is in like corporate workshops and things like that. So if you're looking for money, then like thinking about it that way. But most of all, like that's not why you love your art. Mm. So why do you love, not even why do you love your art? You love your art, do the thing you love. And then like, I wouldn't corrupt that with so much of the money thought. Like you've got a money problem. I hear that figure out ways to deal with that money problem. (laughs) And like, if that includes some of your art, great. But like, don't limit your solution to that problem with it has to be your art and don't limit your art with that. It has to make money. Like the world is richer than that. Mm. Anything else you want to share, Max? Um, doesn't have to be another poem. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's not too. It's more than I would normally do on a podcast. So we really, you got you got some good juice out of me. Um, 
no yeah i hope you i hope you'll watch this thing i poured seven years of of work into i really love it and i hope it feeds you too um and yeah and that you are more than you are more than whatever your work is you are more than whatever your art is and your art is probably a beautiful reflection of at least some of the things that you are love it and where can people uh stay in touch and um, wordsthatmove.com is where a lot of the goodness is and a lot of the videos will be. I am on the social medias, though I have a mixed relationship with them. I'm Max Dossel and should be easily findable in different forms. Um, yeah, those are probably the best places. Awesome. Thank you so much, Max. Thanks for having me. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much. 